Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Welcome to Real Cuff. And tonight we have on Sherry Dunnigan. And uh, my wife went to a, con- a conference called the Overcomer Conference, and Sherry happened to be the main speaker there. And she came home all excited saying, we've got to interview this lady. And uh, she has an uh, awesome testimony that she's going to share with you tonight. Um, but she also has a cancer survivor story, too, that hopefully she'll get a little bit into, especially because one of our listeners from San Antonio, Dorita, wrote and said, there, there doesn't seem to be anybody with compassion for people with cancer. And so I felt like tonight that the Lord was saying she had the comp- compassion for it. So Sherry and Julie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And Sherry, if you want to start off anywhere in your story, just wherever the Lord leads you, we'll sit back and we'll listen and then you know, we'll ask questions as we go or wait till the end, either way. Okay, that sounds great. Um I guess I want to start in um I don't know about many of you, but I found the Lord in crisis, and um, um, I was actually, uh, I had been married for a year, and um, my husband um, had decided that he wanted a divorce, and it was through that situation that um, I began I began seeking, and I had a friend who um, invited me to come to church. I had been raised in a Christian home, and I knew of the Lord, but I honestly um, never had a relationship with Christ. And so my friend invited me to come to church, and boy, the power of an invitation. And um, she told me it was a church like I'd probably never experienced, and, um, and she was right. Um, they were spirit-filled believers, and I went to that church, and the only thing I knew is that Jesus was real and his presence was tangible and that I wanted to know him in a way that the people of, of this little church in uh, Presque Isle, Maine, knew the Lord. And that began my journey. Um, I gave my life to Christ. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, but in the beginning, I kind of had one foot in the fence um, of the kingdom and one foot still in the world. And um, I remember I came to a place where I decided I, was, uh, I wasn't going to come to church anymore because I knew that there were things in my life I was doing that I shouldn't and I needed to be able to get my stuff together. And uh, my friend came up to me and gave me one of the greatest pieces of advice um, I had ever been given. And I explained my situation to her and told her I wasn't uh, going to come to church anymore and that when I got my life together that I would be back. And she said, um, she said, Sherry, please don't ever quit coming to church. She said, keep sinning and keep coming to church. And that was novel for me. I said, you mean I can, I can continue to sin and I can still come to church? And she said, yeah, because there'll come a day when you love Jesus more than you love your sin. But you're never going to fall in love with Jesus if, if you if you quit going to church. And I, I just took her at her word. And so I continued in my sin and I continued to come to church and fall in love with, uh, fall in love with my savior. And I'll still remember the day when I knew that I loved Jesus more than I loved my sin. And it was, um, I completely turned my life over at that point. And um, I took up my cross and I followed him like I never had before. And that was um, over, I guess, about 30 years ago that I did that. And my life has never been the same. And so then if you were to fast forward, um, I about three years after the divorce and after coming to know Jesus, 
Um, I met my husband, Brian. Uh, We knew each other for three weeks. He asked me to marry him, and I said yes. And three months later, we were married. And I don't recommend that to anyone, but it has worked for us. And we just celebrated 27 years of marriage. And um, when I met Brian, he had a little girl named Jessica. She was two and a half years old. And, um, and then we had three other children, Sierra, Brianne, and Danae. And, um, and we were a family and are a family that just genuinely loved Jesus and had a heart to please him and to serve him and obey him. Um, in 2009, um, well, actually, I guess it was 2008, so my husband and I got married in 1988, and so then if you were to fast forward to 2008, that's about 20 years later, I'm 45 years old, and it was time for my annual mammogram. And um, I never really liked to do those kind of things because um, I'm adopted. I was adopted when I was five days old, and um, my mom who adopted me, um, I watched her die of breast cancer. Um, she had uh, her one breast removed, and then a year later, the cancer spread to her lungs, and um, a year later, she was with the Lord. And so every time I went to have a mammogram, it would just remind me of that season of my life, and I always became very fearful. And, um, and so this one time, I, my husband would always encourage me, just go, everything's going to be fine, you have nothing to worry about. And... Um, And so I did. I went. It was in December. And I remember getting a card in the mail in January saying that um, something didn't come out quite right and they wanted to do further testing. And my husband knew I was going to be very fearful and he tried to just encourage me, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. And um, so we went into the doctors, and they encouraged me to go have a biopsy and that we would get the results. And they said that it was very small. It was just like a pinhole. You could barely, um, you could barely see it from the mammogram and from the, um, I guess it was like a sonogram that they did. But I went. I had the biopsy. And, um, and I remember the date like it was yesterday. It was January 15th. Um, of 2009, um, we were getting ready to have um, a big young adult meeting at my house. I was leading our young adults ministry. It was probably about an hour or so before that. And the doctor called and said, um, Sherry, I'm sorry to tell you, but you have breast cancer. And uh, there really wasn't, you know, a whole lot he could say after that other than you know, we need to have follow-up, and uh, and it felt like my greatest fear was coming to pass in my very own life. I remember my husband came home probably about 15 minutes before my house was going to implode with about 20 young adults, and I shared with him the results, and we prayed, and then you do what you have to do. We had our young adult meeting, and Everything went fine, and they left, Um, and then began my journey into this battle called breast cancer, and um, I can honestly say it's nothing that you would ever, ever wish on anyone else, and yet I've learned that life is like a set of railroad tracks rather than a set of, like, mountains and valleys, Um, because the same time that really great things are happening in your life. Sometimes you have some really bad things that are happening in your life too. And you really have to choose and decide which side of that railroad track you're going to live on. Um, Because the same time that bad things are happening, you also have um, really good things that are still happening in your life at the same time. I remember immediately... um, saying to myself, um, all right, we're going to get through this. You know, God is, God is faithful. God has always been faithful in my life through, through all the trials and the journeys and the ups and downs of being alive. And I knew that this wasn't going to be any different, but I remember 
I remember thinking to myself, like, I know I'm going to be okay, but how do I tell my four girls? Um, Because it's one thing to have to go through it yourself. It's another thing when your family has to journey that with you. Um, And how do you say I have breast cancer in an upbeat kind of positive way so that your kids aren't scared and they know that you're going to be okay and that God's going to be faithful. And um, my children were 14, 16, 18, and um, 22 at the time. And um, I remember we all sat in the living room and uh, and I they had known I had had you know, an x-ray and that I was going to get a biopsy, but we were sure everything was going to be okay. We were already praying as a family and believing for the best. Um, And I knew that the words I were going to tell them was going to disappoint them because God wasn't going to answer their prayers the way that we had been praying and believing. Um, and, um, And probably in my whole battle with breast cancer, um, not being able to fix it for my children was one of the most difficult parts of the journey. You know, every child responds a little bit differently and, um, um, you know, I shared the news. We cried. We prayed. They had questions. You know, why would, you know, you're a pastor, mom, and, you know, why would God let this happen? And I remember telling them that, um, you know, why not me was really my question. Like, I'm no, you know, I'm no different than anyone else, and we truly do live in a fallen world, and bad things happen to good people. And I remember explaining at that moment that it's not so much um, what happens to us when we go through life that sometimes is so much different than anyone else, but but we have a foundation that we get to stand on that those who don't know Christ, they don't have that foundation. They don't have that security. And so it's, it's not so much what we go through that's different, but how we go through it that makes us different and that marks us and that we don't go through trials um, such as breast cancer or... Um, whatever your trial, I guess, would be. We don't go through trials without hope. We go through trials holding the hand of a loving God. And, um, and I remember there were so many things that I learned in that season of life that, like I said earlier, I wouldn't wish it on anyone else, but having been through it, I don't know that I would really ever want that year to go away because there was such a closeness that I had with God as we walked, um, as we walked, as we walked through that path. Um, I remember one of the lessons that I learned is that sometimes God removes the mountain from our lives and he supernaturally heals and he delivers. And I believe in healing and I know that Jesus is the healer. And then there are other times in our lives where the mountain isn't removed exactly the way we wish it would. And And the Father, he just lovingly grabs our hand and he helps us climb it. He helps us walk through it. He helps us climb over it. And and the Lord gave me a scripture. And anytime you go through a trial, I can't, you just, you go to the word. That's what you do. And, And you find a promise and you find something to stand on and you wait and you listen for that still small voice. Um, to speak. And so for me, my scripture that I stood on was um, Genesis 46, verses 3 and 4. And um, and this is Jacob's journey into Egypt. And the scripture is, I am God, the God of your father, the voice said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt, and I will surely bring you back again. And that's verses 3 and 4a. 
And I remember just the Holy Spirit highlighting that word, surely. And, um, and that the Lord was really, he surely was going to bring me back again. And, you know, I don't know how each of you are, but, you know, when I talk to God, I have a lot of questions. And so I don't know if any of you have ever been on a plane ride and maybe you got to have a layover at Heathrow Airport in London. And because you had a layover there that you're able to say, man, I've been to England. Even though you never really got off of the plane or out of the airport, you can still say that you've been to England. And I remember talking to the Lord and um, and saying, Lord, when I go to visit Egypt this year, as I battle my battle with breast cancer, um, can it just be like this small little tiny layover where I can say, yes, I landed and I I've been to Egypt, but I didn't have to stay very long. And I remember, I remember knowing that that wasn't going to be my journey, um, that my journey was really going to be the Lord and I walking through Egypt, but that I was to remember that surely he would bring me back again. Um, you know, and as a woman, sometimes you think, what's, you know, what's a, a pair of tatas, you know, do they really matter? Um, I could easily give those up, I remember thinking. And I remember one day my husband and I were sitting in the church parking lot and I knew I was going to have to have surgery and um, I was choosing to have a double mastectomy even though I only had cancer in one breast. I decided I was going to be very aggressive in my approach in my fight against cancer. And I remember in the car just crying because I didn't want to give those tatas up. They were kind of important to me, more important than I thought. They were, I don't know, they were a part of my my girly side, my feminine side, my womanhood. And, um, and I remember so many times just being able to go to my husband and saying, Brian, you just tell me it's all going to be okay. And, you know, I, I am so blessed to have a husband that was rock solid in his faith as well and that he wasn't going to let this shake us. And every time I said, are we going to be okay? He always, with just his faith and confidence, would say, you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. And I remember having a really good cry in that car in the parking lot and then I remembered saying, you know what, it's time to put my, my boots back on, my combat boots, and go kick butt and go to war. And I had a lot of those kind of moments. And when you go through trials like this, I think you have to learn that it's okay to be sad at times. It's okay to be mad and angry at God. He can handle that. But those are places to visit, and they are never places to live. And I would. I would visit them from time to time, but I would never live there because I had this promise from the Lord that surely he would bring me back again. I remember my surgeon, um, I don't know if he was a Christ follower or not. I think he was. And uh, I remember him saying to me, "Um, you know what, Sherry, 2009 is going to be a crappy year, but it's only one year of your life. And so just know that this is a, a small chapter in your book of being, you know, 80 or 90 years old. So don't lose heart this year because it's just a chapter. And then I remember reading a quote that said, you know, don't put, uh, don't put a period where God's put a comma. And I think that that's so important to remember when we go through trials, that they're just, they're just chapters. And in those trials, there are such beautiful lessons that God wants to teach us, that he wants to show us. So I had my surgery, and I remember telling God that um, I was willing to give him my two tatas as long as I could wake up with two new ones. And, um, and so I opted to have a more extensive surgery where they were able to use my own body tissue that at the same time they took my two breaths, they were at the same time making me two brand new breasts and I was going to wake up and it was still going to feel, I was hoping anyway, somewhat normal. 
Um, the surgery was supposed to be about seven hours. It took about 13 hours. And um, they had a complication with one of the blood vessels. And so we began believing God for a miracle that that blood vessel was going to be okay and that right breast was going to be fine. And, uh, and for a while it seemed like it was. And about six weeks um, after my surgery, I'm recuperating. Um, and I knew that something was me something was just wrong with my right breast and so I went back to the doctor and um, and my breast began to actually rot from the inside out because it wasn't getting enough blood and oxygen and so I had to go in and I had to have another surgery and they had to remove um, all of the dead tissue and that was one of my angry moments with the Lord and I was so angry I said Lord I gave you I gave you two breaths. I cannot even believe that you're asking for a third. And, um, and, and you know, when you, when you wrestle with the Lord, when you find out that you have breast cancer, the things that you thought you just knew the answers to, you suddenly don't know the answers to anymore. And I, remembered, I remember just wrestling with several things, and one of the things I wrestled with was, if God takes my life at the age of 45, will I still love him? Will I still trust him? And, and I thought that was an easy answer until you don't know the outcome or, or, or the way your story, your beautiful, messy, complicated story, you don't know how that's going to turn out. But I remember in my wrestling match with the Lord, I came to the conclusion of where else could I go? Like, Lord, you are truth. You are, you're my everything. And so I might get mad and I might not understand, but I still choose you. And, and I knew I could say that after I had wrestled through because it wasn't just an easy answer. It really did require a wrestling to be able to say, Lord, if you take my life at the age of 45, I love you and I trust you, even if I don't understand you. And so when they had to take my right breast for the second time, it was another one of those wrestlings for me. It was, God, you could, you could breathe life into this blood vessel. You could fix it. And, and yet again, the Lord was taking my hand and walking me around the mountain. Um, when they did the pathology report, um, they discovered that my, my tumor was um, nine millimeters. And statistics are in the breast cancer world, I guess, that if your tumor is um, 10 centimeters or greater, or I mean 10 millimeters or greater, you should have chemotherapy. And if it's under 10 millimeters, then they don't recommend that you have chemotherapy. Well, I thought to myself, are you kidding me? I mean, how do you base such a huge decision on something as big as one millimeter? Um, and, and that began this next journey. So, you know, I had my, I had my surgery. I had, you know two more surgeries in that process, and now I had to decide if I was going to have chemotherapy or not. And, you know, no matter what your answer is, it takes faith. You need a word from the Lord to not take the chemo, just like you need a word from the Lord um, to have chemotherapy. And I began to seek the Lord, and I was seeking him, you know, with all of your heart, uh, with all of my soul, I would spend hours at the church just playing the piano, and I play horribly and I sing horribly, but I believe that somehow there's a filter between my lips and God's ears, and, and, and I would just go there, and I would just worship, and I would just cry out to the Lord. Um, and he was, he was quiet. He was silent. I saw three different oncologists, and it felt like none of them were really listening to me, and... They all just wanted to put me on this program, and I was so frustrated. Um, and, and God was just, he was just silent. And we would have altar calls at our church, and I would go forward, and I would just beg God to give me a word, and uh, nothing. Um, 
finally, I was going to physical therapy because I wanted to get my range of motion back after my surgery. And my my physical therapist, she was a Christ follower, and I was telling her my dilemma and that I couldn't find an oncologist that I liked or that didn't have you know, these pre-prescribed answers for me even before I had the questions and that I needed somebody who would listen to me because I didn't know if I wanted to do chemotherapy or not. And so she recommended this great um, oncologist. His name was um, um, Dr. Michael is what I called him. And, um, and he listened. And I guess I would just encourage you that, that you as the patient know who you need to have that kind of a relationship with. And if, you know, you come across an oncologist that you don't like, keep looking. Find somebody that you know that you can have a long-term relationship with. And when I went and I made an appointment and this this oncologist, he listened to me. He heard my story and then he gave me my options and said, I want you to go home, Sherry. I want you to think about the things that I've said and you come and see me in about three weeks, and whatever, you, whatever decision you make, it's going to be the right one. I mean, that was liberating for me. And I remember going to my pastor um, after the Lord was being quiet for so long and saying, Pastor Durant, if I was to put a gun to your head and you had to make this decision for me, like what would you tell me to do? And uh, after some discussion, he said, um, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like you're supposed to go through and take the chemotherapy. And so I began to pray about that. And it felt like if you have hands on the clock, the, the minute hand and the hour hand, and they're both facing 12 o'clock, it felt like it went to 12.01 on the side of chemo. And so I went back and I told my oncologist and I decided that I was going to have a head shaving party because I wasn't going to have the cancer and the chemo get rid of my hair. And so my daughter, Sierra, shaved her head with me and my husband and a friend, Adam, from church and my pastor's wife. She cut our hair and we had this big head shaving party. And um, we did mohawks, and I have some really cool pictures. I mean, you know, when else do you get to have a mohawk as a woman? You know, not too often. Most of us don't have mohawks. And so anyway, I got some crazy pictures and some laughs, and we had a lot of tears. And, um, and I learned that bald is beautiful and that um, hair grows back and that um, I don't know that it really is all going to be okay. I remember with my daughter, Sierra, trying to convince her desperately not to cut her hair. She was getting ready to go off to college. And I said, oh, Sierra, you have this beautiful brown hair. I said, it goes below your shoulders. You don't want to cut it. And I just, I couldn't convince her not to cut it. And I'll never forget, she said, um, she said, Mom, if the roles were reversed and I had cancer, you'd shave your head for me, right? I said, without a doubt. And uh, she said, okay, then, I'm shaving my head for you, end of discussion. And, um, and so she did, and it was just such a beautiful gift. Um, I also remember that um, when I had to give the Lord um, my right breast for a second time, when it was all said and done, it just looked like a flat tire. And... Um, I remember coming out of the shower one morning and, you know, you have these moments where you just look at yourself in the mirror. And uh, I remember just feeling sorry for myself and just feeling like I looked very um, ugly, I guess, and wondering how, how my husband could love me the way that I looked. And, you know, at that moment, he just happened to be walking into the bathroom as well. And he gave me that look that just said, um, you know, what's up? What are you thinking? And I turned and I looked at him and I said, how can you love me when I look like this? And, you know, one of the gifts that God gave me in this season was his answer to that question. And I'll never forget because he didn't have to pause. He didn't have to think about his answer. When I said, Brian, how can you love me when I look like this? 
he looked at that flat tire and he pointed at it and he said, Sherry, I look at that and I see life and I thank God every day that you're alive. That's a gift. And I just remember just melting. And, you know, my husband and I have always had a great relationship and I've always known he loved me. But that day, that day, I'm telling you, I knew that he loved me on an entirely different level. I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. But, um, but that's just one of those, I think, amazing gifts that came out of my journey. So we had our head shaving party. I had to have implants, which was the very thing I was trying to avoid when I was using my own body tissue. I think 2009 was a year of, uh, I think, six different surgeries, chemotherapy, and then I had to be on Herceptin for an entire year just because of the kind of cancer that I had. My daughter, Brianne, she would go with me to almost every Herceptin appointment that we could go to. I had a little Metaport, and they hook you up to this machine, and her and I would go, and we would play cards, and we would play gin, and she would beat me most of the time, but but those were precious moments, and and knowing that your family loves you um, when you're going through trials is a gift that is beyond compare. You know, my kids would help me take a shower. I remember feeling victorious when I could actually lift my arm high enough to touch the back of my head and comb my hair down. I think one of the things I learned as a pastor is that it's a lot easier to give love than it is to receive it. And um, I really got to see the other side of pastoral ministry during that time um, as you let people love you and you let people give. Um, it's a very, very humbling place to be. Um, but, you know, for my kids, they, they see it from a different perspective. I have um, my youngest daughter, Danae. Uh, her testimony through this trial was so beautiful. You know, she said, I learned that I could be mad at God and madly in love with him at the same time. And she learned to get her eyes off of the waves and to keep them on Jesus so that she could walk on the water. Um, You know, my two girls in the middle, for a long time, they were pretty angry at the Lord. Um, And they're still on their journey and coming back to to that place of, uh, of really trusting the Lord. They felt very disappointed in the way their prayers were answered. I think not being able to fix things for them um, has been very, very difficult for me um, because in my mind, God has been faithful and God has been good and, um, and their perspective, you know, seeing their mom go through that and being in pain at different times, um, their perspective is a little bit different. And I think I've learned that I have to trust that, you know, God in his own way and in his timing is going to is going to make things right with the girls um, when they're ready to have it be made right. Um, I know they love the Lord, um, but I know that there's this part of their heart, I think, that sometimes is still hesitant to trust or they're unsure. Um, And so that that part's been hard. Um, And as a mom, not being able to fix that's been hard. but just like God has been faithful in my child, I, uh, I know without any shadow of doubt, he's going to be faithful in their trials too. Um, I think the, probably the last thing that I, um, I guess that I really want to say is in that season, um, when the hand clicked towards chemotherapy, I remember the day I was supposed to go and have my my very first chemo treatment, and it was just my husband and I. He was able to get off for all of my appointments. Um, and I remember being so afraid. Um, how was my body going to respond? Was it going to be sick? Was I going to throw up? 
Was I going to have reactions? And and I remember talking to the Lord that morning and saying, God, I, you know, I feel like this is really what you want me to do, that you're here, you're holding my hand, but but I am so scared, God. Like, I'm just so afraid to, like, get in the car and go. And uh, And I remember the Holy Spirit just speaking these three little words to me, and those words were, um, do it afraid. And, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, Sherry, if you wait for fear to be gone, then you're never going to go. You're never going to do it. And those three little words have become a principle in my life, um, you know, long after my battle with breast cancer has been over. And just, um, you know, do it afraid. It just gives me courage. It lets me know that it's okay to be afraid, but I'm not going to let fear stop me from living my life, from doing the things that God has called me to do or to go the places that God has called me to go. And in that season, you know, I was called to go to that chemotherapy room. And um, I remember, um, this is such a beautiful story, but I went and they sit you in these kind of like nice, soft, comfy, cozy recliners and they hook you up to an IV and I was sitting beside this nice lady and she was covered in this little blanket and I remember we struck up a conversation because you're there for several hours and I was telling her that this was my my very first time for my very first chemo treatment and she was sharing with me that it was her very last chemo treatment and boy did that give me hope because she looked good and I thought you know what if she can make it I can make it and um, and one of the things that they tell you is to when you go through chemo or when you go through a trial kind of like of this magnitude it's to have a goal and so I decided that my goal at the end of all of this chemo treatment was to go on a hot air balloon ride. So sometimes I would take a picture with me of a hot air balloon to remind me that I'm going to get through this and my reward is going to be to go on this hot air balloon ride. And so I was telling that to my new friend and, and she was sharing with me her story and her journey. And as she was getting ready to leave, um, she took this blanket that because it's kind of cold in these rooms. And so she took this blanket and she folded it up and, and she handed it to me. And I said, what's this? She said, this is my pass it on blanket. And the first time that I came here, somebody gave me this blanket and passed it on to me. She said, and I've been asking the Lord who it is that I'm supposed to pass it on to. And the Lord told me that I'm supposed to pass it on to you. And she said, and I just want you to know that just like this blanket covers you, that God's going to cover you in this season and that it's all going to be okay. And, and I just thought, isn't that just like just a loving father to take such good care of his daughter that he would just put me beside this lady who was going to give me this blanket that I would have for the whole next year to remind me that God was going to cover me and that surely he was going to bring me back again. And then I remember my very last Herceptin treatment. It was with anticipation. I brought my blanket and I just kept praying and saying, Lord, who am I supposed to pass this blanket on to? And people would come in the door to get their treatments that day. And I just kept waiting, and is it that person, and is it that person? And then eventually this lady walked in, and she sat down beside me. She told me that it was her first day for chemotherapy, and I knew she was the one I was supposed to give my pass-it-on blanket to. And so just like that first lady gave hope and encouragement to me, I was able to give her that blanket, and I was able to pray with her and let her know that, God loved her and he hadn't forgotten her and that he was going to be faithful to see her through this trial as well. And so I've had to face a lot of fears and I've had to learn a lot of lessons. And, um, and I think the greatest, I guess the greatest lesson of all is that life is really like a set of railroad tracks and 
and just make sure we don't live on the side of the railroad track where all the bad stuff is happening, that our eyes would be open to the amazing miracles of family and friends and people who pray for us and encourage us and letters that you receive and dreams that you have. And, and now for my husband and I, I mean, we've always celebrated life, but everything's a party for us now. Everything is a reason to celebrate. Everything is, um, is a reason to give the Lord thanks. Because, you know, when you have a second birthday, like my second birthday, my first birthday is September 17th, but my second birthday is March 27th. And every year our family goes out for dinner and we celebrate God for every year that God gives me from 2009 on, I will be forever grateful for. And um, so I don't know. I guess that's, that's my journey. And I thank God for being faithful. And uh, I'm here today, seven years cancer-free. And I wish I could tell you that I'm never afraid. That's not true. I still do it afraid. I still sometimes when maybe something's wrong or I have a pain in my neck or someplace, you know, the enemy sometimes he tries to knock in my door of my heart and say, yep, that's it. Cancer's come back. That's it. You're going to die. And I just have to do it afraid all over again and say, well, you know what? If the Lord wants to take my life, that's his choice. But if it's up to me. I'm not going today. And then I just choose to face that fear and I choose to move forward. And, um, and that's, that's, that's my journey and that's my beautiful, messy, complicated story. Wow. Thank you, Miss Sherry. That, that Thank is you beautiful. very much. Yeah, you're and, welcome. Uh, you know I something you... Week. Go ahead, Julie. I was going to say, I, I heard a lot of great points. I like your analogy of, you know, speaking to the mountain, but no, this one was climb over it. There were some really good points that you picked out because uh, sometimes like you were you were saying that we think that it should happen one way. Yeah. Like maybe your daughters are thinking right now that this should have happened one way. But you're like, the Lord's like, no, I've, I'm grabbing your hand and you're climbing this one and going to climb over it. That was just really good. Thank you for that picture. Mm, Great point. You're welcome. What ended up uh, bringing about these um, missionary trips now, too? Is this a part of celebrating life? You know, it is a part of celebrating life. You started to go on more. Pardon me? I said it is a part of celebrating life. I, you know, I was doing missions um, to the nation of Colombia before all of this um, started. and I remember in 2009, I wasn't able to go to Columbia or Line Fork, Kentucky, which are two places I had been several times, um, both doing like building projects. I've done women's retreats um, and things like that internationally. And um, I remember in 2009, I was going back to Columbia and my husband said, Sherry, exactly why are you going to Columbia again? And I remember looking at him and saying, because I can, because I'm alive, because I can go. And, um, and honestly, since that Lord. time, I've, I've traveled to France and Albania and Africa, and the Lord has taken me just so many different places to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ, because there are just millions of people who need to hear Jesus loves them. That's right. Did you, did you touch uh, ground in Egypt? You know what? I have never actually been to the physical nation of Egypt, only to the spiritual one. Okay, that's why when you mentioned that, I was wondering. I thought that no, was when I was in Africa, I was actually in Niger. Okay, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming and telling that your story, and it does it does matter, and and the encouragement, and just and being real. Um, telling things that people need to hear, and hopefully this will indeed encourage them. Todd, do you have any questions? 
No, I just wanted to make a comment. I, at the very beginning when you said a, your friend told you, keep on coming to church and keep on sinning, Yeah. Yes. you know, I, I'm going to use that myself because I hear so many people go, you know, I can't go to church till I cleaned up my mess, you know, so it's kind of, I, I agree with what she said to you. Keep on coming. You know what? If we can't, if we can't be sinners in church, I don't know where we can be sinners at, truthfully. <laughs> and that piece of advice of Sherry, keep sinning and keep coming to church because there'll come a day when you love Jesus more than you love your sin. It was the best piece of advice I think I've ever received in my life. And, uh, you know, honestly, it took me a good year and a half before I love Jesus more than I love my sin. Um, but I don't know that I'd ever be where I am today if, if she just hadn't invited me and my sin to come into the four walls of the church. And I'm so thankful for her. Right. Right. Well, and I'm really, I'm really proud of your, uh, your daughter that shaved her hair. Yes. <laughs> so am I. I'm serious. That was just such a beautiful gift. I couldn't convince her otherwise. And, you know, each of my four girls played such a special role in my life during that year, Um, just in the little things they would do. I remember my one daughter, she took off work for a week, my oldest daughter, Jess, and when everyone else got to go on that one missions trip to Kentucky, she came and stayed with me because I still couldn't be left alone. Um, You know, and I remember my younger daughter, um, Danae, she was still in high school and, you know, she would sit with me. We love to have cups of tea together. And so, you know, each one deposited, you know, different gifts and, um, they were all just real encouragement to me. Miss, uh, Sherry, before we end, would you pray over the audience mm. that listen? And I think that, my heart right now yearns, at least I practically want to cry, that I would have the love of life that you have. <laughs> yeah. We take it for granted, honey. You know what? Every anniversary, just go do something. Somebody scores a goal, <laughs> you know, in soccer or makes a basket, go out and celebrate that. And you know what? Sometimes even if you're just sitting on the bench, go treat yourself to that little cup of ice cream or that cup of coffee because life really is meant to be celebrated and enjoyed. It's really a gift. I would be honored to pray for that, Julie. Thank you. Father God, go ahead. I just thank you. I just thank you so much, Father God, for who you are. I thank you, Father God, that, that there isn't a single person out there, Lord, that you haven't that you haven't forgotten about. You don't forget about anyone, Father God. You know us intimately. You know where we are on our journeys. You know the trials that we're going through. And Father God, you are faithful, faithful, faithful. And Lord, my prayer is that we will live life on the side of the railroad track of thanksgiving and gratitude and joy. And Father God, that when we need to to visit sadness and grief and anger, Lord, that that we'll visit there because you can handle that and you want us to to be real and to be honest. But, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't live there. Lord, I pray that every day that we wake up would be a gift, that, Father God, we would wake up with this expectancy of, wow, what am I going to do today? Who can I encourage today? What kind of blessing can I be and, uh, Father God, that, that life really would be celebrated and enjoyed. And, Lord, I pray that, that whether you spiritually and supernaturally remove the mountain or whether you grab somebody's hand and you help them walk across the mountain, I just thank you, Father God, that your word says you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. Lord, that's a bedrock. That's a sure foundation that we can stand on. And so even on those days when we can't see you and we can't feel you and we can't hear you, that Father God, we can rest assured that you are there because your word promises you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. So Lord, give us joy for the journey. Help us to keep our eyes on you and not on the waves and help us to love you, to love people and to love life. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank, you. thank you. Thank this you. This was thank really you. kind you. of like incredible. Like I have never done this before ever. Well, we will uh, be sure to put your contact information on our website. Anybody that would like to have you come and testify, encourage, teach, so forth, uh, they'll, be, they'll be able to contact you. And thank you so much for coming and taking the time to tell your story. Bless thank you both. It's just such a pleasure to have met you and um, I'm meeting you today, Todd, and just... Yes. Thank you for giving me the courage to tell my story. Because once you told me what it was about, I kind of freaked out. (laughs) Did great. I did. In fact, I told my husband tonight, I said, that I thought they were going to ask me about, like, women in ministry leadership. (laughs) And I said, and then when I said, well, what kind of questions will you be asking? And she said she wanted me to tell my story, my journey through cancer. I said, well, by then I was already committed. So I was. You tricked me, God. (laughs) He's good. He knew your story needed to be told. He did. And you know what? His timing is perfect. Well, thank you guys very, very much. All right. Well, that's a wrap. And blessings. Blessings to you too. And Merry Christmas to both of you.